0: Welcome to Lived In, a podcast series by Hemby Home Company. Lived In is all about interior styling for the ordinary home. If you live in an ordinary house on an average street and you love design, this podcast is for you. Many of us long to infuse the places in which we dwell with both style and livability, but we also have to stick to realistic budgets. What does it look like to live in a space that transitions with you as life does? How do you build equity while creating a space that truly feels like home? And what can you do to make a space yours when it doesn't belong to you? Join me, Femi, a realtor, content manager, and interior advisor, and let's find out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lived In, episode eight of all things. Who would have thought it? Um, I hope that you are all doing well as we speed I was going to say ease, but it's definitely not an ease, speed into this busy holiday season. Hopefully, as you're listening to this, you're taking some time for yourself to rest and relax. Or maybe you're wrapping gifts, as some dear friends of mine said they were doing while listening to the last episode. Shout out, Alex and Sam. This is the second year we've celebrated Christmas as parents. And this year, as much as I love Christmas, and I really love Christmas, I've just been so, so busy and it's felt like I barely have the time to to do Christmas in the way that I want to. Is that a normal part of parenting? I don't know. I'm hoping it's just this year and not a sign of what's to come. Anyway, let's leave all the talk of Christmas alone and get into today's episode. I think it was about three weeks ago that I put out a question box on Instagram stories and I asked all of you to send in some Q and A's for this episode. I got quite a few questions and we won't be able to tackle all of them, but we'll see what we have time for, shall we? Let's get into it. The first question is, how can I make a small space look larger? I love this question. In case you missed it, I did a whole episode on how to make the most of small spaces I think it was episode six, but I'm not sure. I'll link to it in the show notes. But if you did listen to the episode, you will know that I touched mostly on the practical elements of maximizing space in small spaces versus making them feel or look larger. Now, that's not because I don't think that matters. I think it matters immensely. In fact, one of my favorite things about design is how it can alter our perception. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I attended a seminar led by Jason Saft of Staged to Sell Home. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Staged to Sell Home, and his entire business is staging, and it's centered around this very fact that design can alter our perception. The way that we perceive a space is almost 100% due to how it is designed. When I'm thinking about design, I always like to start with a why. So when you're thinking about the small space that you're trying to make look and feel larger, start with why it feels small, beyond its actual size, obviously. Here are some reasons the space might feel small. One, the ceiling feels really low. Two, the walls feel like they're closing in. Three, entry to the room is sticky. So for example, you enter through a narrow opening or you're surrounded by doors on all sides, which feels claustrophobic. There's too much furniture. All the furniture in the room is the wrong size or the wrong style. And five, there's not enough storage in the room. Now, depending on what the reason or the reasons are that the particular space you're in feels small, there are a number of different solutions. Some of these are about tricking the eye, which is depth perception, has everything to do with depth perception. And others might be more to do with distracting the eye. And some other solutions might be a lot more practical. For a room with a ceiling that feels low, I would recommend painting the walls, ceiling, and trim all the same colour. Our eyes naturally follow as they are lead. So painting everything the same draws your eyes all the way up without an interruption. If you don't want to use paint, you can do the same thing with wallpaper. Wallpaper and trim, I probably wouldn't recommend, but you can just take it all the way up onto the ceiling. And then You can also use vertical stripes to achieve the same effect, but I think that this works best in rooms again without crown moulding, where you can take the stripes all the way onto the ceiling in a kind of tented effect. I'll include some images in the show notes on the website. For a room that feels like the walls are closing in, maybe re-examine storage options and use a mirror strategically. I mentioned this in the episode on small spaces, but Don't assume that closed storage in a small room is going to make it feel bigger. It usually has the opposite effect. So start by removing as much as possible from the space, only keeping what is necessary. And then if having closed cabinetry is a must, then if you can go floor to ceiling, go for it. And don't be afraid to use mirrored cabinetry. I know mirrored cabinetry isn't super practical if you have kids or they are cabinets that need to be regularly accessed because of storage. So only do this if it makes sense for you. But floor-to-ceiling mirrored cabinetry will reflect the space back and give more depth perception, again, for the eyes. And it will reflect a lot of light, which is great. Now, if mirrored cabinetry is a huge no-no, try a large mirror on a wall where it will receive a lot of light and won't be blocked by tons of furniture. We actually recently added a large mirror to one of the smaller bedrooms in our house. And even though I know how helpful mirrors are, I was completely blown away by how much larger it made the room feel. Use a mirror. For a room with what I called a sticky entry, so one that has maybe lots of doors where you walk in through one door and there are doors on either side. Be creative. This is going to not be for everybody, but I think it's a great tip and something that really works. Consider wrapping the whole room in curtains. This is not cheap, and I am aware of that. But if painting scares you, or if you're in a rental, this could be a great solution. Curtains allow you to hide all of the doors that make the room feel claustrophobic upon entry, but they still allow for easy access to those rooms or those doors. It's also such a vibe. (laughs) To achieve this well, you'll need floor-to-ceiling curtains, so likely custom, which is what makes it expensive. And you can use a track curtain or do custom balances. Those are kind of the rectangular squares that go over the top of curtains. You could do custom balances to give the illusion of a track curtain. If the issue is literal space within the room, so the amount or size of furniture or the amount of things in the space, reduce, collate and make smart swaps. Reduce is, for example, instead of four seating options, maybe just have two. Maybe you don't need four chairs, maybe you just need two chairs that are a decent size. Collate is instead of all of the toys all over the floor, just put them into one freestanding piece of furniture, preferably one that has some glass on it so you can see into it. That's that depth perception that really helps make a room feel bigger. And then smart swaps would be swapping out furniture that dominates, for example, a giant dark sofa that sits directly on the floor replace that with something that has a lighter visual element and allows for sight under and around. So a sofa with a slimmer armrest that sits on legs off the floor. If you are trying to figure out furniture for a space and want help with that, DM us on Instagram or send us an email. We'd love to help. All right, let's get on to the next question. What are current interior design trends? I love this question too. I'm probably going to love all of these actually. (laughs) but I actually just wrote a blog post about purported trends and how to incorporate them into your home in a way that makes sense. Along with a caveat that just because it's a trend doesn't mean that you have to do it or that it's right for you, but who am I to tell you how to live your life? Um, so what is coming up in 2024? Well, metal kitchens are one of the trends. If you follow Hemby Home Co on Instagram, you'll see that I've been sharing about these and pinning them on Pinterest as well for a while. I love, love, love metal in kitchens. I am fully obsessed and fully converted. And I have been, I think, since seeing Pernille, uh Tisbeck, I think is how you say her last name. Um, her kitchen in her Copenhagen apartment is just gorgeous. And I think it's the juxtaposition of the timelessness of the apartment itself, which I think was built in the 1870s and then the clearly modern feel of just cold, hard metal. It just, it's one of those things that I gasped at it when I saw it the first time. Cause so I was like, that is shockingly beautiful. How is that real? I didn't know you could do that. Another one is yellow, the color yellow. Now, not to call myself a trendsetter, guys, I'm clearly joking, I promise. Um, I know British sarcasm isn't always well-received, but we recently hung some art on our kitchen backsplash behind our stove. Pro tip here, actually cover the art that you want to hang on your kitchen backsplash in epoxy so that you can wipe it down if things splash on it and it won't get damaged. Anyway, it felt when we hung it up a little too modern traditional farmhouse, which is gorgeous, but just not my style at all. And so I, Honestly, truthfully, hand on heart, suggested to my husband that we should paint the wooden frame a shiny yellow. And he said no. I'm going to keep working on him there. Anyway, if he's listening, he's going to say that that is a story for the story bucket, <laughs> where all the crappy, pointless stories go to die. But anyway, all that to say, I called it, I think people used to be afraid of yellow, but it's finally having its moment. All right, I'll give you one more trend for 2024 and then we'll move on. Another trend pretty gadgets honestly why has it taken so long for pretty gadgets to become a thing i feel like there's a disconnect very often at least for the consumer who's buying from walmart walmart or target or sainsbury's or tesco or wherever you live the regular store i feel like there's a disconnect when it comes to function and design being unified now i love my ninja air fryer and it's not hideous it's also hardly gorgeous. So why can't we have both? In a way, I feel like, in general, up until this point, the more advanced, technologically, household gadgets have become, the uglier they have become. But all that to say, it's changing. So now you can get cute fridges, cute toaster ovens, pretty microwaves, etc. In fact, my thing of the week this week is a pretty appliance, and I love this trend, or a pretty gadget, sorry. I love this trend because I think it's very accessible for the owner of a typical suburban home, like you or me, and you don't have to have a huge budget to have it in your home. And that's what we're all about. Let's see how we're doing for time. Okay. How do you choose the size and placement of a rug in a room? Mm Mm-hmm. So this question makes me chuckle. And the reason it makes me chuckle is because my husband and I have been watching a TV show, a well-known TV show, which I will not name. And it's been running for a while. And for, I think, the entire first and second season, every time they would reveal the bedrooms, the rugs in the bedrooms would be at the end of the bed. And it looked so wrong. Maybe this isn't fair. And I know to a certain extent that this is just a matter of opinion, but it looked so wrong to me. I could not understand how they kept doing that and they thought that it made sense. To make matters worse, the rugs that they used were the exact same width as the bed. So all that to say, um, that's how to not choose the size and placement of a rug in a room. Um, There are so many different room layouts and sizes of furniture. So I'm just going to give you some general advice. And then I'm going to link to Rug Direct's rug guide in the show notes. Not sponsored. It's just that it's it's not very long. It's easy. It has all the images. It's helpful. Here are my general guidelines. One, don't place a rug in front of or behind a piece of furniture. Put it either completely under it or partially under it. If your rug is going completely underneath a piece of furniture like a sofa, Coffee table or a dining table, make sure the rug is a decent bit larger than the piece of furniture that's going to be sitting on top of it. And if your rug is only going partially under a piece of furniture, make sure the rug slightly exceeds the width of the furniture on top of it and that the rug reaches at least one third of the way under the piece of furniture. For a rug that is centered with lots of furniture on top of it, make sure that you're not bringing the furniture in too close in order to keep it all on the rug. Set the furniture up in its ideal spot and then choose a rug based on that. The rug should reach at least a third of the way underneath all the furniture sitting on its border. For rugs in spaces that don't really have furniture in them, like a bathroom or a kitchen or an entryway, place the rug where you would likely stand. So in a bathroom, this would be in front of the sink or the vanity. Try and match the length or go slightly shorter. And then keep it narrow in depth. Same goes for a kitchen. Most of the time, I think you're more likely to go too small on a rug versus too big. So just bear that in mind as you shop for rugs for your spaces. In an L shaped kitchen, choose a rectangular rug to fit within the frame of the L shape. In a galley kitchen, go for a runner. And then in an entryway, let the width and length of the entryway inform the size of the rug that you choose. Those are my guidelines. Let's check out my thing of the week. I am delighted to announce that my thing of the week is my very own kettle. Is that kind of ridiculous? Um, My thing of the week this week is the Bodum Ottoni. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but I'm not Italian. Um, Ottoni? I don't know. Ottoni is what I'm going to say. The Bodum Ottoni electric water kettle. It varies in price depending on where you look, but on the Bodum US website it is apparently 246 US dollars. Insert throwing up noise here. Good grief. Um, I did not pay that much for it and neither should you because this isn't sponsored and that is actual daylight robbery. At the time of recording, it is on sale for $148 or $147.95, which is still far more than I know I paid for it, but whatever. Make sure you shop around. Um, It is stainless steel, stainless steel kettle with a beautiful carved wooden handle. And it has these blue elements, one on the lid and one for the on button or the switch. And it is a thing of beauty end of function which I appreciate very much and so I don't mind having it out on the counter it's linked in the show notes and because of that absolutely outrageous price I'm sorry but I just cannot imagine a universe in which I am paying 250 dollars for a kettle it literally just boils water it has a single function anyway I have linked a few other really nice kettles in the show notes as well talk about sticker shock Whew. anyway let's get back to the episode Right. Question number three. Where should I invest more in quality furniture? I, I've i actually been thinking about doing a whole episode on this, depending on how much I think there is to talk about. Um, but we can get into it a bit here. First of all, I think you should always buy quality furniture. It's just better financially to buy once versus buying and then needing to replace. That said, I think some things matter more than others and I wouldn't say I really have rules about when to buy quality versus when not to, but I think there are some general guidelines, some general things you should know or think about when you're looking at furniture. The first one is to get real wood whenever possible. Don't get the stuff that has a veneer because you can't refinish it. Um, Don't get stuff that's particle board or MDF painted to look like wood. Because the moment that gets scuffed, it's scuffed. There are some DIYers I've seen on reels who somehow restore those pieces, but it takes a lot more work than if you were to just work with actual wood, which you can sand, refinish or restain. So number one was get real wood whenever possible. Number two, if the structure needs integrity, then don't skimp on the quality. So don't buy a cheap chair because it literally might not be able to support your weight invest in something that feels solid and you know can hold you up i'd say probably the same thing for a dining table and for a bed you know if you're buying a light fixture i'm a little less concerned about that it doesn't have to hold anything or hold anybody number 3 invest in good fabrics i think that this matters and usually when you're buying more expensive furniture that's one of the things that you're paying for is the fabric If you can get stain repellent fabric and fabric that's hard to rip, go for it. Get that. Invest in it. It's worth it. Number four, before you go cheap, go Facebook Marketplace. I say this because I understand that $50 might be your budget for a new chair. But also $50 is not realistic for buying a brand new chair. So go on Facebook Marketplace where somebody is selling something That is lightly used and buy it for $50. You're gonna get much better quality than if you went and bought a $50 chair from Walmart, for example. Number five. Number five, don't buy a dupe that lacks integrity just for the look. Yeah, you really want the chair from CB2, but then you buy the Walmart version. I'm not hating on Walmart, by the way. I love Walmart and I buy things from Walmart, but don't buy it just for the look make sure that it has the integrity that you need in order for it to fulfill its function. All right, that's it. I'll leave that there. Keeping it succinct. Let's move on to the next question. Question four, how do I personalize a space without going too far? Mm, So I have a question about this question. What is too far? I don't know that you can go too far in personalizing your own space. Uh, actually you can, and you can, you can, and you can't short answer. No, you, you can't go too far in personalizing your space because it's yours and it's for you. So make it your own. But then that said, you can go too far if the space. Isn't always going to be for you. Or if you are preparing to give it away, sell it to somebody else. If you're going to sell it to someone, then they need to be able to see themselves within the space. So this is something seller clients don't always understand when it comes to getting their homes ready to list for sale. If I'm a potential buyer coming into your house, I don't want to see your wedding photos or the pictures of you and your kids. I'm trying to picture myself within your space. I also probably don't want that really specific pattern on the backsplash that you like. Think a backsplash that features a chicken or a religious symbol or anything like that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing those things. Completely support freedom of speech. Just saying if your house is being prepared for sale, maybe adjust some of those things. Now, because the reality is that none of that is going too far in personalising the space if it's your space and it's going to remain your space. If you are trying to make a space your own and it either isn't yours, like it's a rental, or it's going to be sold soon after, then do light personalization. fill it with things. So to get back to the question, if the space is yours, how do you personalise it? Really, it's all about just leaning into what you love. Take it as far as you want. I personally, it puts a smile on my face when people come into our home for the first time and they say that it's lovely and it feels cosy because that's how I hope I am of a person welcoming and, you know, maybe unassuming. If you just look at me, you don't necessarily know but I'm a welcoming person, a place where people can be at home and be themselves. That's what I want my home to reflect. So lean into what you love, indulge yourself, stop being so sensible, lean into the colors and materials that you like, make choices based on what you like versus what you think other people will be impressed by. So what speaks to you? And then I guess lastly, incorporate the things that you pick up as you go about through life doing the things that you like to do. I love picking up random decor, posters, artwork, tiles, inspiration from travels. I think that's a great way to have a a real useful souvenir and then you always have the memory attached to it as well. All right, let's do one more question. What are some budget-friendly decorating ideas? Um... I will try and do this one fairly quickly, and then maybe in the new year we can have a full episode devoted to this. Because I think with our whole mission at Hemby Home Company being about enabling people to live beautifully, whatever their budget, we have to talk about budget-friendly decor. Before we can answer that, though, I do think we need to define decor, because some people understand decor as trinkets and tchotchkes like vases and candles and beads, etc. Um, to some people, though, decor could be full-on furniture, like armoires and china cabinets and coffee tables. So when it comes to what I call the surface items, that would be the the trinkets and the tchotchkes, I've, I have mixed feelings because at some level, I disagree with decor for the sake of decor, in the same way that I disagree with just getting random crap to fill a stocking. You don't need a stocking, so you don't need goldfish-branded socks to fill the stocking. It's redundant. Both things are redundant. At some point, it becomes stuff for stuff's sake. So that kind of stuff I don't agree with. That said, I do think decor is in many ways the jewellery of a home. It's what takes it over the edge, makes it a full outfit, versus just being clothes on a mannequin. So continuing the jewellery analogy, in the same way that you don't buy jewellery for the sake of it, you should buy decor that means something to you or emotes something in you, and that has a place in your home. So for decor, don't plan to buy things just because. Focus on what matters to you. Be patient. Wait for things to speak to you and come to you. Don't go hunting for them. Meaningful, if you want to put that in quotes, um, meaningful decor that I have in my own home, are candles and bathes because I love having fresh flowers and I love the ambiance that candles when they're lit and when it's dark that they bring. So I have those because they feel useful to me. They're not just things for the sake of things. I also just love using books as decor. We read a lot in our family. We collect all the books and keep all the books. Same with records. If you've got a record player, all of those things can be decor. Furniture is different. Um, That you do need to hunt for. So if you need ideas for that, I can give you ideas for that. For, For furniture, you really need to find it. So you have to hunt for it. And so if you're on a budget looking for a specific item, here are a few places, a bullet pointed list of places to look. Number one, thrift stores. Look for secondhand furniture, it's great. You will get it cheaper than you would if it was brand new. Paige Wassell, who I think at this point I've mentioned at least three times on this podcast, she is big on thrifting furniture or Facebook marketplacing furniture, which is also on this list, and then just reupholstering it. It works out cheaper than buying a brand new couch. It's not always cheap, depending on what you're reupholstering, but that's something to think about. You can get something that's really good quality if you just buy it secondhand. Estate sales. I struggle with this because it feels like profiting off the dead, which feels so wrong. But also, what? Are, also they're gone, so what are they going to do with their things? Shop estate sales anyway. If you live in an area where there are a lot of wealthy people, go to those estate sales, buy those things. Nobody's going to use them otherwise. So you get get those. Facebook Marketplace I've already mentioned in our episode with Hannah Otto. She gave a few really great tips on shopping on Facebook Marketplace. So if you missed that, I will link it. Make sure you check that one out. Side of the road. (laughs) I'm chuckling because in England, it's, really, really rare that you can pick something up off the side of the road and it's in good condition. But in America, it's really often that you can pick something off the side of the road, provided it hasn't just rained and it's going to be in decent condition and somebody will take it. So keep your eyes peeled. If you see something and it looks great, just grab it. And then of course there are the traditional budget in quote places. Target, Walmart, Wayfair, Amazon, where you can buy things for relatively cheap. I don't personally encourage buying things online unless you can be sure of the quality of those items. So I maybe wouldn't buy a chair off of Amazon unless I'd read a ton of reviews and it was in a certain price point and it looked well made. I would Buy it from a store if i was able to sit on it and test it out and see how comfortable it is because you just don't know what you're going to end up with and sometimes sending returns back online is a pain now last one i mentioned target walmart wayfair amazon i know that budget is relative but i will also include cb2 crate and barrel williams sonoma pottery barn etc If you're looking for more unique items, I love looking in the Museum of Modern Art design store or on Etsy or on Pinterest or just on Google. Brands that you haven't heard of always pop up and it's a way for you to get some things that are a lot more unique and not what everybody else has in their house.